following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. All right, welcome back to another week here in the South End Zone brought to you by Belly Up Sports. I'm your host, Eric Mulher. Uh, Jason is not with us tonight. He had something come up. He, I don't want to say had to bail, but uh, he couldn't make it. Instead, I am joined by uh, Cole Topham, who up until very recently, and we'll explain that in a minute, uh, wrote for devilsdigest.com covering the Arizona State Sun Devils football team. Uh, Cole, first off, thanks for coming on. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Feeling a little bit under the weather, but I've got like my my high C next to me, so we're, we're pushing through it. But no, I appreciate the invite to come on the pod and talk some Arizona State football with you. Right. So uh, the last, I guess, two or three years, you've been covering Arizona State for Devils Digest, and you're sort of transitioning from that into a different uh, full-time role that I think you've already started, you said. Uh, can you take a minute and tell us kind of what you got going on professionally these days? Yeah, so I guess my, my post-grad opportunity is I'm an offensive analyst at Saguaro High School. So um, I knew the head coach there from when he was offensive coordinator at Arizona State um, from 2020 to 2021. So there was kind of that connection there. Um, and, you know, I was looking to kind of get in behind the scenes and actually contribute to a program because for the past few years for Devil's Digest, what I've prided myself on is doing film reviews of the team and of the opponents and kind of just trying to figure out the ways that the teams are, are going to win or, or, you know, what aspects of the game are, are going to, you know, show up on, on game day. And I really wanted to put that into practice and, and really, you know, take my football knowledge and apply it. So I'm excited to get to do that. I'm going to be doing some, some stuff on social media there as a creative director um, and really just trying to increase the brand of the school um, because I think they're 13-time state champions and they have you know, all the credibility in the world. They just need you know the right push to kind of take their, their program to the next level in, in terms of the national spotlight and, and how they're perceived. And so I'm just excited to, to get rolling with them and, and really just try and do everything for them. Yeah. So I guess first off, congratulations for the new job. Uh, secondly, congratulations on your recent graduation from Arizona State. And then thirdly, congratulations on uh, setting a new record for youngest guest appearance on the South End Zone podcast. I think. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, awesome. I, think, I think you got Logan Robinson of Knoll Game Day beat. If I had to guess, I think he would be the next youngest guy. But Yeah, I'm, I'm turning 22 in June, June 23rd. Oof, goodness. Are you kidding me? <laughs> sorry to drop that bomb yeah <laughs> yeah we're gonna move on from you making me feel older than i actually am or as old as i am uh which is still old and i want to talk about the sun devils so coming into the spring and we'll get into kind of the overarching themes around the program uh regarding kenny dillingham and transitioning from the herm era but in terms of what you saw in the spring from the sun devils uh one of the things we always ask the writers is position battles you know, who, who can we expect to see where, who's kind of leading a competition, that sort of thing. So I guess starting with the most important position on the field, quarterback, who was going to be taking the snaps for Arizona State week one against Southern Utah? Yeah, I mean, we kind of have this two-man race at Arizona State between um, the incumbent Trenton Borgay, who started um, the last five games of the season for them. 
Um, and then we have the newcomer in former Notre Dame quarterback, Drew Pine. Um, and he actually had a four and one record against ranked teams at Notre Dame. Um, I thought did a pretty good job for the first year of the Marcus Freeman era there, but he transferred in um, and he was really impressed with some of the things that Kenny Dillingham did at Oregon with Bo Nix. Um, and I think, you know, those two quarterbacks like Trenton Borgay wasn't going to back down uh, just because someone transferred in. And then, you know, Drew Pine kind of wanted that sort of next level offense opportunity to just take his game as a quarterback to the next level. So we got to see that firsthand in the spring and, Pine actually had a little bit of a head start on Borgay because Borgay had like a foot injury or a, fir- a foot surgery that was still carrying on and he was held out for the first week of spring. Um, and so we got kind of got like the first taste of Pine, what he had to offer. And um, just based on the on the film, too, at Notre Dame, he's he's mobile. You know, he, he wins with his mind. He can decipher defenses. Um, and then, he you know, he plays the matchup game. He's really good at deciphering matchups. And obviously, Michael Mayer was just outside of a first round pick to the to the Raiders this 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 past draft so at Arizona State they're very tight end heavy uh, as well and so it was a very familiar you know scheme fit for him I'd say but to see Borgay come in after that um, after being held out of the first week of spring and really just put his his foot on the pedal it, it seemed like he had an immediate grasp of Kenny Dillingham's offense and he was able to show those those same traits that we saw over the last six games of the season or so um, whereas just the poise, uh, the comfortability, the chemistry with the playmakers, I, I think it was pretty clear by the time spring ended that, you know, Trenton Borgay was the most accurate of all the quarterbacks and, uh, de- you know, definitely had the trust of his of his playmakers. So I would say that heading into fall camp, Trenton Borgay is definitely the the front runner I would at the position. Um, but who knows, like Drew Pine, it could have just been a, a situation where he was still getting situated you know with his with the new the new roster and you know there's nothing wrong with that and really it's it's just about how you prove yourself in fall camp that matters so I would say Trenton Borgay definitely has a lead on Drew Pine but it's definitely not a lead that is insurmountable and be lost yes so I didn't watch a ton of Notre Dame last year I probably caught parts of probably like six games and Mm -hmm. drew pine kind of struck me as the guy who he might not be the most physically gifted quarter he's not going to blow you away with physical attributes but he seemed like uh he made good decisions took care of the ball went to the right place just maybe isn't as as physically impressive as some other guys so he seems like a maybe not a high ceiling but a high floor candidate is that something you kind of see or am i off base yeah, no, that's definitely something I see as well. It's it's something that you could say about Trenton Borgay as well. But I think what Kenny Dillingham has repeatedly stated to the media um, just in post-practice interviews is he doesn't need his quarterback to be a specimen in order to run the offense that he wants to run. It's a, you know, it's a bunch of quick hitters, get the ball in space, take your shots when uh, you, the defense allows you to. Um, and all those quarterbacks are in, in the room are, are capable of making – you know, those, those types of throws, they just might not be able to pull it off in the same fashion that Michael Penix or Caleb Williams can in, in the conference. But both quarterbacks are smart and they have the tools. I, I think it, it really just comes down to who has, who has the most trust with their playmakers. Mm. Last quarterback question. Is there any chance we see the, uh, the Rashada kid, this, or is he just like strictly in developmental mode? Yeah, I mean, I think just with the whole situation that Jaden Rashada went through where uh, he, he decommitted from Florida late, and then I think he, he said like his first day on on campus was like spring ball. 
So, I mean, he, I think he's still getting integrated at this point. You know, maybe he turns it up and fall and pushes Pine for, you know, the backup role at this point. But I think it's pretty safe to say that both Jaden Rashada and the staff are comfortable, you know, with him developing behind those two more experienced guys. And then he'll get a legitimate shot in year two. Hmm. Okay. Uh, how are they looking at running back? I, I'll be honest. I haven't done as much homework on Arizona State as I have for a lot of these other teams kind of in prep because I sort of sort of got busy with other stuff. And they do have a lot of new fa- a lot of guys in, a lot of guys out. So whatever familiarity I did have with their roster last year, I really don't anymore. But, you know, everywhere Kenny Dillingham has been as an offensive coordinator, he's tried to feature multiple backs. I would assume the same case exists here. Yep. No, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, there's there's still like the returning um, sophomore running back, Tevin White. We didn't really get to see him too much last season, but he showed some flashes um, and he's just kind of like, you know, you're, you're just your typical between the downs back. And then they got the Sac State transfer, Cam Scadabo, who's Big Sky Offense Player of the Year. And he can he can do it all, really. I mean, he's he's just a, a, a bundle of energy and hurt. I mean, sometimes the offense would line up on the goal line against the defense. Um, Kenny Dillingham, he would shout over the mic like it's it's goal line, you know, and defense has to stop offense. And I mean, he, he just would just punch the ball in repeatedly. I mean, he he takes the pain and he I think he wears it as a badge of pride. So um, Cam Scadabo is, I think, definitely kind of locked up the starting role. Um, in the spring and then you still got you know a a healthy plethora of backs behind him including Javen Jacobs who played slot receiver last year Um, but he played uh, running back the running back role actually at Saguaro High School when he was there and it was a pretty versatile player for them under tight ends coach Jason Mons so I I think it's a it's a pretty healthy running back room in terms of in terms of depth Um, they they got a little bit banged up in the spring um, which kind of limited how much we could we could actually view their full potential but I think there's a lot to pull from just that their their position coach Sean Aguano he's He's had a thousand yard back pretty much every single year, excluding the COVID year, um, including, you know, Benjamin Rashad White and this past year, Xavier Valade. So there's there's going to be a bell cow in, in this in this backfield, but he's going to get protection for all those from all those guys. Uh, so whoever the quarterback ends up being has to throw to somebody. And I know you said earlier, Arizona State does feature the tight end maybe more than most teams, but mm-hmm. they don't feature just tight ends. They got to have receivers as well. So in terms of a, an overall pass catching core, what are we looking at? Yeah. So, I mean, you're looking at your ex receiver is going to be Elijah Badger. He was their leading receiver last year. Um, their best receiver since Brandon Ayuk. Um, and I mean, honestly, there's, there's just a lot of similarities between those two receivers and just the vertical threat potential and the playmaking with the ball uh, in his hands. Um, I mean, he's just, he, he can win on the outside. He can win on the post. Um, he's, he's the guy that you trust to do a lot of things in that offense and move the chains. Um, and then, you know, opposite him, they brought in this, this transfer from Idaho state named Xavier Guillory, but he's just got that top end speed field stretcher, you know, kind of draw the, the attention away from Badger on the other side. So I think they'll be seeing a lot of, you know, cover two high shells, um, this this season in order to cap this offense and then at at the h receiver at at the slot receiver position you've got giovanni giovanni sanders who had a breakout season uh led the team in in 
first down catches and just was a pretty reliable playmaker when his number was called. So that three group, that three, that trio right there is probably going to be your starting lineup. And then you've got, you know, some big receivers behind those, those guys, Andre Johnson, Troy Amiri. They brought in uh, Melquan Stovall as well at, behind Sanders at the slot position who made a, a you know, a bunch of tremendous catches in spring. So I, th- I think it's a, it's probably a deeper group than people were anticipating just based on last season. But I think they've done a good job just over overhauling the, the receiving core um, and getting good players around the, whoever's going to be the quarterback this season. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know that you can make too many summary judgments on, on roster talent based on last year after, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the mass exodus of, of players and coaches and, and all that stuff that we'll, we will talk about in a minute. Hello. So one thing we concentrate a lot on, on this show is play up front because Jason and I both believe that if your line sucks, it doesn't, nothing else matters. Um, you know, you're just, you're just not going to succeed. So Offensively and defensively, it, it really wasn't a strength for them last year. It seemed like it kind of was in 2021. They were they're a little bit better, but are they being able to to kind of bounce back towards that? Yeah, I mean it's 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 tough because in the trenches, like you lost Ladarius Henderson to Michigan, um, you lost the starting center uh, Ben Scott to Nebraska, I believe. So. Um, you're kind of having to overhaul the offensive line, you know, once again. And, it, you know, as you know, it's it, it's all about chemistry and cohesiveness from those guys up front. So uh, I think we're still tr- seeing this offensive line come into their own. But you've, you, you've still got a good mix of players that have been on the roster before, experienced transfer, you know, talent coming in. It's just all seeing about how they mesh together. I would say in in spring, the defensive line got the better of the offensive line the majority of the time, but it's definitely a battle to watch heading into fall camp because I, I just don't think that the, you know, the, the offensive line is this refined product yet, just yet. How close do you think are there? How close do you think they are? Like if, like how many guys do you think up front do they know are who's going to start where? I think they probably have three out of the five positions solidified. And then the, the positions that they're trying to lock in, are going to be the uh, you know the left guard and you know right tackle position I think, but I mean it's it, it, I think it's too early to tell what those position battles. Uh, I know like last season it was it was a rotating uh, circus between Isaiah Glass and Emmett Bully at left tackle, and then Glass kind of solidified that spot toward the end of the season. So I, at least that's a that's that's one area on the line that you don't have to worry about heading into this season. Yeah. I, well, I think at this point in the year, just finishing up spring ball, I think if you have three out of five solidified, you're in pretty decent shape, as long as you have uh, some some reasonably decent candidates to to fill the other two spots. So then defensively up front, you said they were kind of the, the more advanced group, which is typical the earlier in, in the season it is. But uh, defensive line, again, wasn't, a, I mean, defensive anything, it really wasn't a strength yeah. for them last year. But uh, particularly up front, they were especially brutal. So what kind of headway are they making? Yeah, I mean, it really, it really just came down to getting some edge rushers that are going to win their one-on-ones on the outside and just one-on-ones period just across the line. I think that with this group now, we're at edge. You have Clayton Smith, the Oklahoma transfer, uh, you know, returning a returning guy in Garen Stansbury, who's always been lauded for this this mixture of, of athleticism and length, but has taken a while to kind of like put it all together and figure out exactly how to execute execute that. Um, and then Prince Dorba, the Texas transfer as well, is just a 
you know, this, this mixture of athleticism and, and bull rush capability. But really the surprise has been uh, BJ Green, who played uh, three tech and edge last season, but mostly three tech. But what, what ended up happening was because he's a smaller player on the interior that when Arizona State was having problems in the run game, they just double team him, you know, and, and move the, the guard center up to the, the second level. And so the defensive line coach at the time moved him to edge because he was still one of their best players. And he started to see, you know, more production that way. He completely turned it on in spring. He was easily the the team's sack leader. I think he had at least 15 plus sacks <laughs> throughout practice heading into the spring game. And so he's definitely going to be a cornerstone of the defense. Um, I mean, he was a former walk-on two years ago um, and he actually ended up leading the team in sacks that year as well. So, I mean, he's definitely seen as, as a, as a defensive cornerstone for this team um, and big things are going to be expected from him. Yeah. Ordinarily I would ask you uh, how many other start returning starters they're going to have on defense. And I, I think, I mean, not to be too much of a dick, but I mean, they were 104th in total yardage allowed So yeah. I guess my real question would be how many of those players do they want back on defense this year? I want winners. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's why you see the the interior line uh, is pretty much completely, you know, all new players or, or players that switched positions to play there because um, the coaching staff sees them as a, as a better fit there. Uh, I think the the secondary is a little bit um, stronger than than the the stats may have shown. Um, I think the defensive coordinator last season didn't exactly play them in the best of situations. You had you know several players that kind of were, were playing outside of their strengths where, um, for example, the the cornerback one on the team, Ro Torrance, it didn't seem like he was putting in as many press situations when he's this, you know, 6'3", 200 corner where he can get his hands on guys and really disrupt the route timings and, and concepts. And the defensive coordinator didn't really allow his defensive backs to do that um, too often last season. So the scheme that is being implemented at Arizona State um, it's it's Brian Ward. He came from Washington State, uh, where he provides a bunch of exotic looks for the offense to figure out. Um, he'll line up his his linebackers in the a you know the a gaps and you know drop them back into coverage or blitz them, or maybe he'll send a corner on a rush and replace an edge rusher. Um, he does like a lot of interesting stuff that makes the offense think, and I think that's just a much better fit for these for these guys, and will help them win their one on ones you know easier. Well, the good news is there's nowhere to go but up. Well, not when I get super pedantic. They could get a little worse, but they they should be better just by by roster improvement, I would think. So Mm -hmm. I wrote an article last week for Belly Up Sports about my favorite coaching hires of the 2023 offseason cycle. And uh, Kenny Dillingham came in at, I believe, fourth on my list. Uh, he, He was a higher... I liked a lot because of the circumstances surrounding the program with the NCAA investigation and all the player turnover and kind of that cloud, if you will, of, of the, the remnants of the Herm era. So what kind of differences have you seen program wide in terms of how things are structured or, you know, practice or preparation or even, even roster construction uh, in terms of what type of player they're looking for uh, from one regime to the new one? I mean, I think it just starts with pride for the program. I mean, obviously, Arizona State hasn't been all that successful um, over the last you know decade or so. But when you have an alum of the program, someone that grew up in the Scottsdale area, um, stayed home for college, um, and just 
loves the program for what it is, I think it changes a lot and it reverberates around around the entire program, the coaching staff, players, fan base. I mean, the, the biggest thing that Kenny Dillingham has preached, you know, throughout his, his tenure so far is to activate the Valley. And that just doesn't include the team or recruiting. It means the, the entire ecosystem that is the, you know, Phoenix, Tempe, Scottsdale area. Um, and I think just taking that holistic approach and, and building it the right way and, sh- and showing the fan base that you're invested in, you know, building the, the program from all corners I think is something that resonates with a lot of people. And, and it's, it's easy to get recruiting buy-in when you see a head coach that's so passionate about his alma mater and, and is, and is locked in for, you know, for the foreseeable, you know, foreseeable future um, because he's from here and he has pride about being from here. Yeah. And that was a big reason I, I liked the hires because, you know, the situation there is not great and you're not going to go get maybe an established guy like a Matt rule or a Luke fickle or whatever you, they were going to need someone with a little uh, younger, maybe a little energy and enthusiasm. The, you know, the fact that the, he does have such a deep background with the program and the community, obviously, you know, cause Herm kind of came off to me as an outsider looking in is he was maybe kind of just in straight check cashing mode the last couple of years as opposed to really pouring himself into making the program better. So I was a big fan of the hire, you know, and that's not to say I think they're going to be excellent this year. Uh, Vegas has their win total right now at four and a half, and I'm kind of on the fence. But, you know, year one is year one, and they, they do have their hands full. So so let's talk about 23. Uh, schedule and expectations. As I just said, four and a half wins from Vegas. They should get a layup week one, and then week two they get Oklahoma State at home. Yep. I, I'll be honest. I look at Oklahoma State and I am not 100% in love with what I'm seeing in Stillwater. They look like they might be sliding this year a little bit. So I'm not saying that's a guaranteed win. I'm just saying it might be winnable. Uh, like, what have you dedicated much thought to what the, the front end of their schedule looks like and what kind of start they can get off to? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't dedicated too much research into the non conference opponents, but I do know that. In Stillwater, they did play Oklahoma State close up until the fourth quarter. And then just I think the kind of up-tempo offense that they ran there caught up to them a little bit. Um, and, the, you know, they, they had opportunities that game to kind of flip the field as well with several dropped interceptions. I think the defense just got a little bit too gassed. The offense didn't cash in on, on some opportunities that they should have. Um, but they played them close up until the fourth quarter. And I think this team is, is probably a little bit better equipped to, to handle that magnitude of the opponent. But it's not like Oklahoma State has had changes, you know, either. I think they did lose their quarterback to the transfer portal and, Coach Gundy is probably going to have to figure out a lot of things on his side in terms of roster ter- turnover as well. So yeah. I, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't count the Sun Devils out in that game, especially at home. Uh, and then they get they get Fresno. I believe that's at home as well. Well, you should know that. And then USC is probably a loss. I mean, we can just be honest here; they're probably not <laughs> going to win that game, and, and yeah. that's okay. But then they get Cal and Colorado back to back, and those are entirely winnable. I, Colorado's going to be terrible. So then going see, into that, the that's, bye. That's surprising to me because, you know, I, I see on social media, it's it's just, you know, the, the coach prime train. But um, when you think about it, it's it's really hard to do what Dion is trying to do in year one. Oh, yeah. 
and obviously the the roster turnover and and transfer portal numbers are unprecedented. And if it's anyone that could do it, it probably is Deion Sanders. I just don't think it comes together all in year one, especially when you consider like the the schedule that the Buffalo start out with is. I mean, they have what TCU to get Nebraska, I Nebraska, think Nebraska, like Matt yeah. Rule, Colorado State rivalry game, then USC and Oregon, and then they have to travel to go come play the Sun Devils uh, in Tempe. I mean that that's a pretty tough slate in my opinion, to start out against. Yeah, I don't I I find Colorado interesting just because what they're doing roster-wise is somewhat unprecedented, but I don't think they're going to be very good at all. I, I think Colorado's probably like a 3-9 and nine type team. So, so you're looking at the first half of the season before they get into the bye week after that game against the Buffaloes, and it's entirely possible that they are sitting there at 4-2. and two. I mean, does, yeah. am I crazy? No, I, I mean, I, I, I see the same things that, that you do when I look at the schedule. I mean, especially having you know, six, six home games or, you know, five home games in the first six games. I mean, that's, that's definitely like a, a bedrock that you can build off of. And I think um, for a first year head coach for a young head coach, like Kenny Dillingham, I think the the scheduling gods for the PAC 12 were kind to him. And this is definitely some momentum that you can build off of. Yeah. I don't know. How did they get eight home games this year? Jeez. You kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. I mean, that's, it, it is kind of crazy, but what's unfortunate is I kind of wish like, you know, more of those home games were played later in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, like, you know, the fan base is going to have to suffer through some of the Arizona heat. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. It, you know, is a, is a little unfortunate, but. Yeah. It, well, it, hopefully it at least some of those are night games. Um, I, I mean, I think they should win at least three of those. Uh, in the front, which is good that they kind of ramp up because the second half of their schedule is not as forgiving. They go mm-hmm. to Washington, get Wazoo at home to go to Utah. They go to UCLA. They get Oregon at home. I mean, Oregon's just a better team. But I think that's kind of all there is to it. And then they get Air- the Arizona game, the final week of the season. So there's really on the second half, I, I think there might be only the one game that you really feel good about going in. Uh, I guess depending on what you think of of Washington State, but there's, I think there's four games when they're back into their schedule where they're clearly not the more talented team at least. So yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I mean, they were able they were able to upset Washington, but I think Washington is definitely uh, a contender for um, not only the Pac-12 championship, but for uh, for the national title as well. Um, and playing Utah and Oregon that late in the season, um, where I mean those teams are are just going to be a well-oiled machine by then. I mean, those guys are going to be no easy task for sure. So, I mean, if they're, if they're going to beat their win total, it's going to be in the front half of the season. And then maybe they pick up an upset or two, you know, later in the season, but you're definitely right about that. It's a, it's a tough backstretch for sure. Yeah. I I still like them to get to five, but like, like you said, they're going to have to do the lion's share of that before the bye week. So yeah, I mean, I think I think five wins would be a, a good total for Kenny Dillingham in his first year. You would like to mm-hmm. see six games and be bowl el- eligible, and you know that's that's kind of like a turning of the page on the old regime, and um, you know you have you have some momentum going into that recruiting off season, and just in general, just the state of the program. Um, but I think five wins would be a, a tremendous success, especially for a first time head coach and an almost entirely new staff as well. All right, last last question for you. And this is kind of the highlight of the show. I've been asking all of all of the beat writers, and you're like the twelfth or thirteenth one, probably. Okay. Um, so when we do our end of the season award show, one of the awards that we give out is the Conor McGregor "Who the Fook Is That Guy" 
which uh, effectively is our our come out of nowhere, no preseason hype, no expectation breakout player. So, like for reference, Jalen Hyatt was our our winner this past season, right? The guy no one had ever heard of really outside of hardcore yeah. Tennessee fans wins a Blitnikoff Award. So, if I asked you which twenty twenty three Sun Devil uh, would be your most likely candidate to to maybe be in the Conor McGregor discussion come next January. You know, who who do you got your eye on? Who do you think might be primed to raise some eyebrows and come out of nowhere and put up a, a big season for Arizona State? Who the fuck is that guy? Uh, you want like one offense and one defense or? I mean, if you got one on either side, yeah, I'll take them. I'm trying I mean, to think because I feel yeah. like the – Or just the one is fine. Most guys have given one. Uh, a couple of guys have, have identified one person on either side of the ball. Yeah. I feel like on offense, there's there's a bunch of guys to pull from. Um, but I feel like just in general, the the entire offense outside of the tight end, Jalen Conyers, is is pretty underrated. So I'm going to have to go with my guy, Elijah Badger, the ex receiver. Um, I just don't think he gets enough credit in the national spotlight. Um, I truly believe like he's going to be you know a, a high draft pick. He's going to be one of the best receivers in the country this season. Um, just with his abilities and and his frame and what he can do with the ball uh, in his hands and and win one on ones. I think he had a number of of those opportunities last year that maybe just didn't get broadcasted in the national spotlight enough, um, just because the Pac-12 games are are being played after dark and you know the East Coast has gone to bed and they don't necessarily see this this um this young star shine. But I think Elijah Badger is definitely a name to to keep an eye on. Uh, especially for those listeners that you know aren't on the West Coast, but on the defense, I would have to go with uh, the safety Shamari Simmons. Uh, he was a transfer from Austin P, um, but he made a number of great plays on the ball, despite being some of that you know undersized safety. But he's a rover. He plays in the slot as well. Um, just a, a really hard hitting player that um, has quickly assimilated into this defense, and I think is going to play a pretty major role. So you you made a a comment kind of in passing about Badger um, about playmaking with the ball in his hands, and that's kind of been a Kenny Dillingham staple of his mm-hmm. offense is is yards after catch and getting guys to exploit that. Is that kind of his skill set? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the the game has really changed where yards are they're not being collected through the air as much, and they're they're being collected you know with with cleats on grass, and it's. It, if you can diminish that time where the ball is in the air and just let your athlete go to work in space and you create space for that athlete, I think it's just a much safer way to go and and a much more effective way to go because, um, you know, when the ball is in their hands, anything can happen as well. So I think that, I think it is a staple of the offense. Um, I think it's a, it's a conglomeration of, of just the entire staff of what Dillingham has learned under Norvell and calling plays for Oregon last season, what the receivers coach Rashad samples is taking from the Los Angeles Rams when he was the running backs coach there under Sean McVay, as well as, uh, offensive coordinator, Bo Baldwin, who, who was offensive coordinator at, uh, Eastern Washington when Cooper cup set records there. So I think it, this offense is is going to have the right mixture of explosive plays of, of quick passing plays that are, that are primed to get the ball in the playmaker's hands. But um, I think it's overall, this is a much more balanced offense um, with known production than Arizona state was sitting at a year ago. Mm-hmm. All right. So your two guys are Elijah Badger and Shamari Simmons. They are going yep. on the list. And just so you know, I'm, I'm keeping track of everyone's answers and Let's at the go. end of the year, I'm going to, I'm going to evaluate, and I don't know if we're going to invite the winner back on for some non-monetary prize or <laughs> or what. But um, but you've made the cut, man. You're you're in the mix now. You're in the competition. 
Nice. So who who am I up against in terms of the other beat reporters? Oh goodness. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. David Waters uh, from Gators Breakdown. Uh, Chase Goodbread from the Tuscaloosa News. Uh, Greg Smith covers Nebraska for Rivals. Brian Driscoll from Irish Breakdown. Preston Guy uh, covers LSU for TigerBait.com. Uh-huh. Josh Newman from the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, Utah guy. Oh yeah. Oh, so and, I'm actually from Salt Lake City, Utah. So yeah. I've read Josh's work before. And there, I mean, there, oh, Logan Robinson from Noel Game Day was on, and I feel like I'm forgetting someone, but I can't. Uh, Joey Kaufman last week, Ohio State beat writer. So I've I've got probably about a dozen names in my book that I will be keeping track of throughout the year. It, it's a it's a running competition. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But uh, other than that, man, I'm going to let you get out of here and. Uh, obviously, best of luck with with the new gig, uh, offensive analyst at Saguaro High School. In that's in Scottsdale, right? Not yep. Tempe. Yeah, it's in Scottsdale. Scottsdale. Yep. Okay. Again, thank you for for taking the time coming on and and sort of filling us in on the Sun Devils and what they got going. I'm I'm optimistic uh, about the Kenny Dillingham hire just in general. Maybe not specifically this year in terms of huge on field success, but I do feel like he's a guy who can get things turned around there. So. Uh, thanks again for coming on, and we will talk to you later. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. All right. Cole Topham, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Ham Analysis. And this fall, you'll be able to find him in uh, roaming the press boxes of, across various high school fields in the greater Scottsdale area. We will be back with you next week. I don't know what we're going to be talking about. We'll be talking about something. Till then, you can find us on Twitter at South End Zone Pod and all social platforms for that matter, Instagram, YouTube, etc. And past that, we will talk to you next week. Stay safe. See you later. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here.